0: today's episode of quest for the questions is brought to you by our new sponsor typos in the weekly newsletter oh typos in the weekly newsletter like an old friend that texts you out of nowhere just to say hi
1: oh terry that's so sweet <laughs> you're always thinking of us first <laughs> i only notice the typos not when you send me the draft only <laughs> only <laughs> after like only so that's why i always feel bad about the t- that's always been the case for me
0: Welcome back to Quest for the Questions. I'm Terry Wonder. I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Alexis Burke, and for the very first time, a special guest co-host, Cantor Billy Type. Welcome to Yay. the podcast. Yeah, I love Yay. that you cheered it's for so yourself. It's so special
2: to be here. <laughs> Yay. You know, I've been getting email after email after email. People have wanted to know, how do I get on this podcast? Really? and i have cracked the code you know you all you have to do is just pay someone to ask in a question about something (laughs) that you guys don't know about and then you get on there oh they people want to be
1: the the questioner they want to ask the question
2: they want to they want to be in this seat oh oh so i have figured it out i mean you should have seen all the emails i got this summer about that
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's excellent well thank you for being the first thank you for cracking the code Thank you for cracking awesome that. Awesome to be here. Um, have you ever been on a podcast before, any kind of talk show?
2: I have, but it didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell me more, please. Hmm. Oh, well, I'm glad you brought it up. You know, I That'll don't be remember. Be that no, I just don't remember, actually. I don't remember. I think that we could just leave it at that. Excellent. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad you're getting a second run at
2: yeah. the Yeah, po- this the is party. really fun. Well, you guys are, I mean, You've got a lot of uh, a <laughs> lot of listeners and a lot of people asking questions and mm. talking about it. And that's really special.
0: Well, I heard this one, this question that we're going to get to. And I was like, I only understand about six of the words that are <laughs> in this question. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm nervous now. I haven't heard it. It's true. You have not heard it. And uh, it's just like f- way far afield from my expertise. So I floated the concept to the rabbi. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this sounds like a good good time for the cantor to to show up. So glad you're here. Ready to do it? Ready.
1: Hi, this is Jenny Grotberg, and I have a question regarding the tradition of chanting ritual readings, or to be more accurate, traditions in plural. I once had the pleasure of hearing a Torah portion read by an individual from Morocco. The lovely melody or cantillation, if that's the correct use of the term, was quite distinct from what I was accustomed to hearing used in our predominantly Ashkenazi local community. In addition, I recently read that a different chant or trope may be used for reading a given Torah portion during Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur than that for the same text on a normal Shabbat. So I was hoping you could provide the backstory of cantillation traditions and if putting the words to music has some additional meaning beyond simply reading the text. Thanks.
0: Wowza. Yeah. So I really heard three different questions in there. What Canter? What did you hear out of that one? I heard. I heard three questions. Well, first of
2: all, I have to say the question was prepared really nicely.
0: It was beautiful. It was.
2: (laughs) Could tell she wrote it down. She thought about it, and that was really well said.
1: It is. Those are great questions. Those are like (laughs) really good curiosities from somebody who is paying close attention.
0: Yeah. Yes. They like saw a thing, and they're like, "Oh, this elicited all these Uh different." Mm-hmm. Thoughts. I love I that, love
2: that yeah. so much the first thing I thought when she mentioned um, the Moroccan t- Torah portion or the the person from Morocco um, is that we used to have somebody here at Temple Sol-El, um a member um, who chanted Torah and he was originally from Morocco grew up in Montreal and um, he had married um, a lady here and she had kids and and um, uh, and so he would come here. He would split his time between here and Chabad, and he would chant Torah um, with us. You know, multiple Aliyot sometimes on a on a given Saturday morning. And um, uh-huh. was it, it significantly was, different, or it was all? It is so significantly different. How so? Um, the there's like almost the use of quarter tones, and I don't know um, what that is. Like. Uh, Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's so hard for me to even <laughs> try to, uh, show you what it sounds like. Um, we'll have, uh, I'm going to give you some, some examples for the, okay, uh, great. for the, for the liner notes that people can um, click on so they can listen to it because it's just so hard to show you. But, um, there's, there's two main things that stick out, um, for me, um, in the, in the difference. And that is the melismatic, use of of the melody you know the uh, and the contour of how the notes are going up and down and then also in in how the language is spoken um the gutturals the guttural Uh like the the which we usually just don't pronounce and the chet which is you know Mm -hmm. they're really far back in 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 the throat Mm. um so that was the first thing that that stuck out to me in in the
0: question oh cool yeah is that something you learn about like in cantorial school or is you just no it's just like culturally you just only experience it if you're like going traveling or meeting new people in your own community
2: uh yeah really good question i think we learn a little bit about we learn about sephardic music Mm -hmm. um we learn a little bit about some of those different traditions but it's so vast it's it's, you can't learn you just cannot learn at all. I mean, in some ways, you know, like you guys have talked about before, where there's questions that are just unanswerable, that part of the question is like, you you just you could never learn at all. Right. It's just there's just so much to it. The, um
0: the first time I kind of uh understood the 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 depth and breadth of uh melody and, and Jewish Tradition was, I was in, it was very recently, it was like in 2018, I was in Israel for this program, uh, for this fellowship I was in, and for one of the things in the evening, they brought up like 10 different members from our own fellowship that were going to do some chanting for us, and we were all kind of like skeptical about what, what this was going to be, mm-hmm. but each of the 10 people were chanting from a different community, and so they had someone from Ghana, and they had mm-hmm. someone from Morocco, they had someone from India, someone from Israel, and f- someone from... Uh, california and like all these different places buenos aires and they all did the same thing uh, the same words totally different melodies totally different styles and then they all like on stage figured out how to create uh melody and harmony together it was like they didn't pre-plan it and then they figured it out took like an hour and then they wrote a new song and then performed it all together and it was like it blew everyone's minds Wow! yeah it was it was unbelievable wow so when she said this question, I was like, oh, I ha- I, mm-hmm. I understand what that feeling is like yeah. of to have experienced a style for a long time uh-huh. and then just, com- it's like a completely different
2: thing. Yeah. Well, what reminded me, when you were just mentioning that, it reminded me of my first year. Well, actually not my first year. It ended up being my fourth year, but most cantorial students go to Israel in their first year. And part of that year is experiencing with the teachers... Um, at HUC, the opportunity to go to different communities in Jerusalem. It's like, there. here's the Yemenite synagogue, here's the great synagogue, here's um, the Ethiopian community. Like there's all these different little places that you can go and visit and experience Shabbat with them or go daven with them and and hear different things. Um, maybe I'll mention later about the, the Yemenite synagogue uh, that I went to. Um, mm. But it, it's just so fascinating to see you know, in real time, what's happening in this one community, like United Nations of of Judaism, you know, mm. all over the place, um, and, and having the opportunity to just, you know, come and right. be a part of their community, and they're so welcoming, but it's fine.
0: One of the things that Jenny asked that I was curious about is, does putting words to music have additional meaning? And I mean, I know it does in terms of, for me, and the way I, I experience Judaism, but I wonder, like, is there any historical basis for that of like in the Torah, the Talmud, or in written word or tradition in the past that leads us to know that that was happening many, many years ago?
1: It's so interesting. I, I remember when our son Seth, whom we brought to college yesterday, so this is on my mind. I remember when he was really young and we would play music, he would like move, like dance. mm mm-hmm. And I, I remember there was a choreographer in the congregation that I served at the time. And I remember running to her the next Shabbat and I'm like, do you think dancing is like innate? Do you think it's like a human thing that like we're now, I mean, he was like less than a year old. So he would be sitting up and he'd be like, I'm, I'm miming his little wiggle <laughs> dance and I just remember being very sure and I haven't forgotten it from that moment that dancing is might be one of the most innate things we do. Like if you hear something, you, if you hear music, then you move your body. I don't know. It mm-hmm. just, I became sort of fascinated by this and she's like, of course, she's a choreographer. So she's like, absolutely. I mean, like, <laughs> okay. it's her life's work. She's like, it is the most important thing that human beings do <laughs> dance. And you know, it's so fun to spend time with people who you know, for me, that's like so outside my world that I don't think about dance from that depth. So when she was like, oh, yes, and had given, him, you know, years and years of thought to this. And I wonder the same thing about music. Like, I I always say to the cantor, like, I, 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 can, I love music as much as a, a, a person possibly can who knows nothing about it.
0: About playing it?
1: Playing it. Uh, like, I frequently ask him for, like, the words... That I mean when I want to describe something. Like, Uh, I have no exposure to it, so I don't have the the vocabulary, but I have strong feelings about it, (laughs) nevertheless. And like, I want to replicate the feeling, this innate mm -hmm. feeling. Like, I feel really strongly that like music is the vehicle to prayer, and I can't accomplish that. And which is why I feel like our partnership is so important Mm -hmm. when, and it always has been that like, Everything I want to do that means the most in prayer, I can never do without him. Like, mm. I cannot do it myself. And, it, and I want to have the feeling. Like, I think there's an innate, similar to the dancing, like, when, when it's really good in prayer, you'll be covered with goosebumps. That's the standard. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. I feel like as soon as something starts and it's like what I really like, I'm like, I want to have that feeling. Can you make that happen for us all? Mm-hmm. Which is like really powerful gift and a really important thing. And I think our response to the to music that is so so what's the difference between words and words to music? Ugh, everything. <laughs> like it's just like what's the difference between talking and you know, song? Mm-hmm it's like, why did we need to, why does it accomplish? Like maybe for some people, poetry is enough, but like you'll frequently hear me say too, like it's poetry and melody that makes prayer. Mm. It is is the right words, but it's fascinating that we are part of a tradition where people completely consent to the fact that they might have prayer where they don't even understand a single word. So then how much more important is the music? Like Mm. we're not even talking about words that you technically understand each word. Totally. So, like,
2: uh, well, that's a that's a now problem. Like, well, if we go right. back, if we go back to history, mm-hmm. like, it really is a part of our DNA. I mean, all the way back to Talmud. Talmud says it. You know, if you're if you're not chanting, you know, if you're not using musical notate, not notate music uh, to embellish to to bring the text to life, then you are abusing the Torah. It says it in the Talmud whoa yeah what do you think of that rabbi
0: (laughs) that's pretty forceful
1: i feel like when talmud speaks in hyperbolic tones like that and tropes like that no pun Mm. intended
2: (laughs) we need a little sound
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think that it's trying to convey something that really matters and i have frequently said that like when people are like what's the difference between a cantor and a rabbi i'm like well a cantor A rabbi is a cantor who can't sing. Like we have a lot of the same education and then we have a whole clergy tradition that is, it tells you something about the centrality and priority of music in our tradition that we have one clergy person that whose primary training is around the musicality of our tradition. Mm, mm -hmm. Like we have two kinds of clergy, music centric and everything else. (laughs) So like, what does that tell you about how, how much we value this? How much Jenny's question is, you know, at the heart of how we express prayer, how we express connection, how we bring, as the Cantor said, bring things to life. Like,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I, mean, I was, I'm like imagining this place if there was just no music, no, <laughs> if there was like no singing, no music, no melodies. It was just like talk, s- speaking mm-hmm. and reading things. So and much it's- talking. Yeah, it would, be, it would be astonishingly different.
1: There's a lot of talking even with all the, the music, but like it's most likely people just want to get to the music,
0: right? So, so both in our tradition of the way that humans interact and f- find meaning and things, and also literally the Talmud, it says that you know the musical embellishments as part of it is mm-hmm. is essential, right? That's yeah, not essential. embellishment. I mean,
1: yeah, I <laughs> it's mean, like essential.
2: And I don't think we well, we don't ultimately know what happened back then, but we find out through the Middle Ages um, that in the Baghdad tradition, um, where there are actual um, writings about the first interpretations of what trope ended up becoming, and the mm-hmm. way that they would do it is that they would use their their palm like an outstretched palm and then they would use their fingers to show that the melody was going up and mm-hmm. going down and so there was someone that would stand right here to the right of the Torah reader and that person would show like
0: an like an ASL interpreter.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. That's so cool. It's like the the like it's like a um a conductor for mm-hmm. the congregation. Mhm. Wow, that's cool. Uh, I'm also interested in like the question that she had about different tropes and chanting for the high holidays versus any other Shabbat is that is that a thing where there are specific melodies in tradition that you use yeah absolutely specific yeah I mean we
2: have just in and we're if we're talking about chanting Torah there are there are other nusachot, other melodies that we that we use um but just speaking about the Torah and about the, um, the, um, the Old Testament, that we have six different systems. So now we have one system of notation. And within that system of notation, there are six different systems that are used to chant. So we have, uh, on weekdays in Shabbat, we have regular oh, wow. Torah trope. We have... Um, Haftarah trope which is used for the prophetic books Um, we have Shir Hashirim um, and Ruth and um, Ecclesiastes which is chanted on Sukkot so that's one Mm -hmm. trope and you actually hear this um, this trope used at weddings which is beautiful Um, we have a trope for Lamentations which is chanted on Tisha B'Av and then we have um, uh, the Book of Esther which is um, a different trope for that gotcha those are all Different musical notations that are used on the same template of um, notation.
0: Gotcha! Wow.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I always feel like it, it's so it's so challenging because as a, I'm a non musician, as I've revealed. <laughs> so it would to me it's because the same marks that tell you they, they don't change the marks for the different expressions of music. So it's like if you looked at the same staff and music. And and for different things, those markings made different sounds. But it's the same markings. It. It's the same symbols. Right. And the symbols have names. Wow. But this the same exact symbol for Haftarah trope makes a different sound than it does in Torah, than it does on Torah for High Holidays, than it does in Song of Songs, Lamentations, Ruth, Megillat, Esther, all of the different, you know, mm. other books that are chanted on different occasions they, they, the same mark, markings make different sounds and have different sets of, and they have different moods. Mm. Like I really like the lamentations really sounds mournful. And Miggy mm. lot Esther is kind of like, it's a little funky. I feel like, I mean, this is oh, subjective. Really?
2: Yeah, I, I would, th- yeah, very subjective. Music is subjective. Um, I think of it as regal.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: You know, it has that, uh, Da da, da 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 Feels very oh, like, castle-y. Like, oh, you know, interesting. Yeah, like that is cool. You know, kind of sounding. But and just so you know, this. So I might blow your mind here. This is just Good to be warned the Western. When that's yeah. This is just the Western Ashkenazi um, system. Right. So I have a friend who um, I grew up going to Kutz camp with um, from England, and you would think she's part of the Ashkenazi tradition, she, go, she goes to a, she grew up in a synagogue there, Ashkenazi congregation. Their entire trope system using the same notations is 100% different, it's it's upside down. I could, I, I cannot replicate what they do there. Wow. Um, but they, like for example, she used to chant Veya um uh, for everyone and it's just totally different.
0: This is a lot like cooking. You know, it's like <laughs> you like so you get brought up in like a classic French style and you know, whatever. And then you go to another place, yeah. all the same ingredients, but like yeah. a totally different, yeah, totally different output.
2: Well, now, I mean, for us in the Ashkenazi um, world, it is written down. We have exactly what's written down like a recipe.
0: We would. But in the <laughs> Sephardic, right, but in the Sephardic Important.
2: tradition, in this, in like Moroccan tradition, and in, uh-huh. in uh, Yemenite, it's all oral. Still? Well, that I'm not sure about, mm-hmm. but they For... teach and they learn this stuff by ear.
0: That is wild. That yeah. is really
1: interesting. Well, and I love the cooking analogy because I think, you know, similar to the, I don't wanna take us too far afield, but like, I definitely think the the zeitgeist of conversation is for us to stop acting like there's Ashkenazi normal mm-hmm. and then there's these funky variations from like Morocco or Yemen, you know, I mean like that those are entire traditions mm-hmm. that somehow because of either cultural lack of cultural preservation on paper or scroll or record are just like, wow, that's wild, you know, right. but like... The but ethnocentrism of... Exactly, that yeah. like, like we think like there's white and then there's, there's normal and then there's not. I mean, it, mm. and I just think that's really interesting. And I think like French cooking was considered, like you just gave that example, like mm-hmm. the gold standard of like culinary excellence. Right. And then as though like all the other traditions are... Not delicious, or just they're delicious, but like not good, or mm. what? Like, what?
0: And we call it classically trained. Yeah. You know, <laughs>
1: and I think there's that in musicianship too. I mean, talk about the difference in folk or classical, or you know, I mean, I don't really know, but I think there is a hierarchy. And mm. yet, like, what you were talking about when you were talking about that experience you had where the very same piece of text was set to these different cantilations and traditions, musical expressions like that gave me the chills like just to imagine that and and how we're being more expansive around our mm-hmm. appreciation of that and i loved in jenny's question that sh- that she even spoke the word tradition and then she said traditions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it it really is hard for me as a rabbi i'll just share it, that like it really is the, some of the harder moments I have in encountering Jewish people is when I feel like they're people are challenging that what we're doing is not right. Mm. Like we do it this way. Like I came up learning this and you're doing this or you're leaving this out yeah. or you're, you're modifying this or that. And that's just not right. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like that's the implication when people say that to me and I'm like, mm-hmm. It's not that it's not there is so much variation within it. I appreciate and and really do understand empathically why variation in a prayer experience just feels jarring or like people have been robbed of something that is a comfort and a and a a part of what their expectation is and and their traditional upbringing or background or preference but I, I don't like the in, the the intimation or even explicit expression that like what we what we've chosen is therefore wrong when the canon even the canon mm-hmm. is so much filled with variation even if you study primary i mean i can show you places where the every choice we've made is perfectly adherent to tradition mm-hmm. one tradition that that another person may not know who hasn't studied this as deeply as you know as we have who well, are the clergy of this ex, you know experience right. and when we are when people come at us with like upset around mm-hmm. what what we've chosen and like how it's just different and we've taken away tradition. I'm like, in fact, we've added a different tradition Mm. that you may not be familiar with. And that, again, may not feel good, but the expression of it is frequently like, and you're doing it wrong.
2: We, a, we actually, we have examples that go all the way back to the golden age of the cantor in 1910, 1920, where the cantor would daven one or two lines of the text or whatever the cantor felt was important in that moment. And then there would be silent davening from the congregation where people, if they were wanted to chant a certain text, they would chant it on their own or they chant things on their own. The way they want. The way they want.
1: The way they want.
2: There's little grumblings. Da, 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 and then the right. cantor would bring everybody back in. So it's as if I mean we we could teach that kind of thing, you know, beyond what we're actually offering as a you know, a, an expression out loud or together something we're gonna do as a congregation. But but anyone can look at that text, you know, that's in our that's in our prayer book if we decide if we choose not to um mm-hmm. uh speak out loud or well, sing or daven or whatever it may be
0: it sounds like what the two of you are saying is that like tradition in there's some perce- per- perception of tradition as being static of a tradition as a thing that remains the same forever and what you're say what i'm hearing you say is that traditions can be dynamic and have evolutions to them and still adhere to like the the intent of the original thing that was Trying to I think that think, yeah. that
1: is the case, but also, but also, I think, because we've always been adaptive. That's the reason we're the oldest living tradition. So that's the first thing. I mean, but it's more than evolution and adaptation. I actually feel like it's not for sure, there's the perception that tradition is static and evolution is dynamic. But really, the reason that traditions endure is because there are micro, Adaptations that are happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And I I think, um, you know, Jewish people have really strong feelings about Jewish traditions. But Jewish people don't always have, God bless, I mean, they have other education in their own fields, but don't always have the expansive background to know to match the strength of their f- conviction about what tradition is with the education about what traditions are. Mm. So it isn't like there is only one. There's only one that some people have been exposed to and the strength of frustration or or disappointment when when what we choose to a form of expression we choose for prayer doesn't match that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the strength of that can be really windy.
2: Mm. And they like what they like of new things. When we bring things new that are outside of the tradition, sometimes people really love it. So they like what they like. And sometimes
0: <laughs> right?
2: You know, they don't.
0: But um, like often
1: I, it's not yeah. even just bringing new things. It's like a thing that we're bringing has echoes of the ancient. And it, it really has like so much already... Um, it's already in there deep. It's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming from a rooted tradition, and it's an outgrowth of that. But the the sometimes the interpretation on the part of the recipient of those expressions, when we offer them, can be like, what is this? What is this? Yeah. Where did this come from? This isn't traditional. I like it traditional. One time I worked with a cantor who did a really fun program where— um, he offered all these melodies that people were like, this is the tradition I grew up with, where like an octogenarian would be like, I grew up with this tradition. And it was literally written in 1986. <laughs> and, and he would, the cantor like would sing the piece and everyone would be like, ah, oh, eyes rolling back in their head. Ah, oh, that's the one I love. That's the one from my childhood. Guess what year? And people would, and, you know, again, it was like a decade ago, Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's, it's, that is the traditional one. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just think it, this is so emotional for people. It's so connected to emotion that it's almost like, even if we're like, this is, this is only 10 years old, the one that you think is from your childhood, um, people will be like, well, I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> like, fine, that's fine. But it's just, I think it's a quirk of ours as a people.
0: How, does, how do all of the melodies and, and uh, the tunes and get chosen for a community? Is it just like you d- came in 13 years ago and we're like, these are the ones I, li- I like or this is what they've been doing before and how does that all work? Because I imagine it. There's it's a daunting mm. task to try to create music culture is basically what I'm asking. How do you create music culture in a community?
2: That's a really good question. I feel like some of it is looking back at what the cantors have done in the past or musicians have done in the past, but it's also about
1: Even 13 years later? How far past do you look?
2: Oh, I was thinking about like when you come into a community. Uh uh um, um, And then from there, you know, once you've gained the trust of the community, I think it's about what you wanna create with the community together. You know, it's about listening, it's listening to what's out there that's new. It's also about bringing back pieces that were, you know, 10 years old or 20 years old sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's all about creating that feeling, um, that grounding for your congregation and their liturgical worship. Ex- do, you, Ooh, there.
0: Ooh. do you do you feel <laughs> like a, a pull or tension of like trying to keep music relevant to what music is outside the walls of a synagogue? Hmm
2: good question. Yeah. Um you're asking lots of good
1: questions. <laughs> he does that. Yeah. <laughs> good thing I should we podcast, I you should know. stop saying that. I should stop
2: saying that. They are they just are good questions. Ask the question again. Tell me again. So
0: I'm curious like if you feel a tension of having the music that exists within Solel and in the community mm-hmm. oh, reflective yeah. of yeah. popular music and trends that exist outside yeah. these walls.
2: So going all the way back to the time when um, when Jews lived in Palestine and they were one community that actually was the beginning of, of communities outside of what was called Palestine at that time, taking from what was being used and learned in, in that time, like Gregorian chant actually, um, the beginnings of Gregorian chant and what we, th- what we think might be, um, the beginnings of, of, uh, cantillation of some sort. Um, Gregorian chant came from what was happening in Palestine and then once our communities were dispersed outside of there all of our communities from there were um, influenced by other communities by society by social change all all different kinds of things so yes of course our music is affected by what's going on Mm -hmm. in our community sometimes it's five to ten years later Um, (laughs) but but I think Absolutely, our our music is um, influenced, and I think one of the biggest things over the last um, ten years is this um, this use of parody. So, like taking songs that are popular sure. out there and and putting you know liturgical text to
0: it. Right. Um, this is what how we got Hamilton. Is what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't like the parody thing.
0: Yeah? How come? I, I
1: think silly it's silly in ways that isn't not the Hamilton thing but like there this happens a lot at Satyrs and stuff people like at this I, I don't know we always have this like conversation around the parodies and I've had this with every cantor I've ever worked with where they're mm-hmm. like we'll just do some parody stuff at the end and I'm like Ugh. Mm-hmm. I don't know I mean it's like I'm I have opinions too and I, I actually of course you can imagine but I, <laughs> like I think it's interesting to work with cantors too because I, I really do feel like their perspective cantors always have perspective beyond my preferences i remember a cantor i worked with once who would sing this version of sim shalom that i just hate. i think it sounded like sesame street like it was just pediatric and i didn't like it in the service he would sing it on shabbat mornings and and at b'nai mitzvah often and then i remember after a while i'm like i just don't like that sim shalom and he's like i know <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like he likes it, and people liked it, and I don't like it. So, mm-hmm. okay, like the, the, to the point I was making earlier, like people have preferences. Mm-hmm. I didn't say like I have a reason why I don't like it, but it doesn't win the day. Mm-hmm. And I also think like communities have to. Uh, my preference is for communities to be a little bit more expansive in their tolerance for when a particular ritual or melody or expression of Judaism isn't exactly as they like it, Mm -hmm. because of exactly what Jenny said, which is that there are traditions. Mm -hmm. And to assume that the clergy are bringing in various voices from tradition, it's like we've been, the the, the depth of content that goes into the decision is very significant. Mm -hmm. It may not be always explained, but it's like it's in there, like the choices we're making, they're Redolent with thousands of years of Jewish tradition mm-hmm. in infusing those decisions with legitimacy and and also the, the, the power of the adaptation that Judaism has always embraced, which is why we exist still instead of being like, well, we're not changing. Right. So well, that, we can well, just die out.
2: Yeah, I want to say that I, I was right there with you. Um, I think maybe 10 years ago or so when this parody started coming out, you know, that like, oh, I'm so against this. I don't like it. I really, really? don't like it. Yeah, I I despise them. I re- Really? Like, I like the whole that. 613 and um, what's the other, the other group? Um, like the Maccabees? Yeah, the Maccabees, yeah. <laughs> we had them here for sheer energy eventually. <laughs> so that tells you where I was going. Um, you know, I really felt like, I don't know, I kind of turned a corner and, and the idea that, to meet people where they are, to give people a sense of grounding in our congregation when they're together, in different ways, like you're saying, eclectic, you know, modes of of word, word, prayer, um, <laughs> you know, I think is so important, and that's where I've kind of turned the corner on it. I mean, we've had we've we used to we did a couple of Beatles Shabbat services where we've had like over 600, you know, all the way to the back, 600 people here. Or so, mm-hmm. I mean people crave it. They love that. That's a mode for them. That's a way to get them to be together here. Um, mm-hmm. in you know, in, in a larger, larger groupings of, of people. Do I think it's the only way? Absolutely not. I think there's so many different ways to ground our congregation. And I think the use of tradition, things that are, you know, me Sinai, as they say, you know, from Sinai, even though we know that <laughs> it, it could be only, yeah, 1986. <laughs> um, or, you know, popular things that are being written today for Jewish music, things that that, that we grew up with. Um, I think they're all so important. Parody, I, I think it just, it really depends on the moment. And I think we spend the time to, to work those things out and talk through what are those moments and what's gonna work best. I think that wins the day right now more than anything. But I I want to I want to just say one other thing that's so important. And I think about this from time to time, is that all of our nusachot, all of these melodies that we use, all of the cantillation, all of this stuff, it it it's all meant to give us the feeling of what we're experiencing in that moment, whether it's a holiday or whatever it may be, and we should always have some sort of moment that connects us back to the tradition, almost like a rubber traditions. band. Like you have to traditions, excuse me, <laughs> traditions where, you know, this rubber band goes this way, goes to the left a little bit, but it also goes forward. And we're always thinking about stretching that, that rubber band forward. And, um, and, and what, so why is that
0: important to have that connection to traditions in that way?
2: Because I think there's always new modes of opportunity to um to expand our experience in 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 finding god experiencing you know a spiritual moment i think i think there is no
0: end to that a lot of what we've talked about in the uh, in these podcasts come uh, like there is a theme of uh, people's questions of can is are the choices i'm making as a jewish person mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. you know and we talked about that with cremation and and not, fasting. Yeah. and not fasting and heaven and hell mm. and and music and it's like it's like uh, i hear people like asking for, for permission right yeah. a quest for the permission of <laughs> is it okay that i do these things that are a little bit farther afield than maybe i thought was okay previously or i've been wrestling with you know and i think music is certainly one of them and and that is an internal tension for people of like is it still jewish if the melody is it originated with the Backstreet Boys, you know, or whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so I think that that is a really interesting thing that in Jenny's question also, I heard too of like, is it okay that we're experimenting in this way?
1: Well, and I think another really, like uh, uh, for, the, especially for liberal Judaism for and Reform Judaism, a, a really huge turning point in the musical tradition was the use of instruments. Because, you know, according to, very traditional interpretation of prayer prayer especially on Shabbat musical instruments were not allowed on Shabbat and remember we talked in the we've talked in another podcast well i don't know if this one's been released yet but around like protecting the prohibition fences around the torah so mm the 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 reason traditionally that musical instruments were not allowed on shabbat is in ca- it's so preposterous the talmudic reason is that like the reason is that we might the musical instrument might break and then we'd be tempted to repair it and you're not supposed to repair okay. so that that's the only reason and i'm like when i first read that and you know when i was studying to be a rabbi i'm like I just won't repair it. Bring on the instruments. <laughs> like if one, let's just commit. How about if we commit as a Jewish people that we use all the instruments we want because like all through Psalms and every like primary text in Tanakh is like sing to God, use your harp and your lyre and your lute and your strings and you pluck the heck out of all this so that it's we. All in can, there. it's all in there. Literally like, so how about if your lute breaks, don't fix the lute. It's no problem. Let's just commit to that. So that's the same reason sometimes people ask who've learned that we don't sound the shofar on Shabbat. Shofar is considered an instrument. The chance of your shofar breaking, I mean, you'd have to have a, some hell of some lungs to break that <laughs> thing. I mean, you're probably not going to break it. So we're going to sound the shofar on Shabbat and we're going to play instruments on Shabbat. The reform movement was the first to be like, you know, instruments are going to make it more beautiful and more beautiful is a more, the mitzvah of making your your rituals beautiful if we talk about a hierarchy the reform movement chose the hierarchy of that over the fear of an accidental mm. or intentional repair of an instrument that accidentally i mean it was so the the reasoning got so preposterous well the bringing guitar and and people like debbie friedman and others who were pioneers mm. of this completely changed the sound of prayer completely and and to your earlier question about whether it has should have, you know, um, a, some form of parallel to an aesthetic that we appreciate already in our lives. So folk music. I mean, Debbie Friedman made the bridge between yes. why the 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 strumming of a guitar sounded like peace. It was already in a movement where people would sit around and play guitar and relax, right, and and feel something in 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 the the revolutions of the sixties and and the movements where people used those songs to protest or to feel mm-hmm. or to love more deeply. And they'd get out the guitar and sit around and, and once you could bring that into prayer, now you cannot when, when I think when Cantor type first was ordained a cantor, it was not required to take guitar. And, and there was big conversations. I remember hiring cantors like, Every search committee was like, well, we need guitar. Who plays guitar? Mm. And then cantors would come who don't play guitar and like feel very strident about the fact that like the art of, you know, the cantorial art does not require guitar. That's not the tradition, Uh. tradition singular. (laughs) Guitar is a recent ad. That's not my art. It's not my instrument. And yet every now I don't think now actually cantors are required to take guitar because no congregation will consider a a cantor who can't bring that sound of prayer to a congregation there is i don't know a single congregation that could possibly consider that
0: gotta gotta love a profession where they're like you have to you have to learn how to play guitar sorry we're gonna need guitar more
1: cowbell (laughs) cowbell.
0: exactly that's so great
2: (laughs) there's a lot of things they required but at that time yeah you're right they did not require guitar but I will say that there were a lot of students taking guitar. I was one of their teachers.
0: (laughs) Cantor, is there anything (laughs) before we wrap up? Is there anything that in your experience that you're like, I just wish my Jewish friends, my Jewish community knew this about being a cantor or Jewish music or like the relationship between, between music and Judaism that like has just like keeps coming back to you over and over of like a thing that motivates you. And you're like, Maybe it's been swimming around your head, but like you just wish other people knew this thing. I think one of the biggest things that's important to me in my cantor
2: is for people to know that they can do it too. That mm-hmm. That this is a tradition of many traditions where yes, we can be the leaders of it and we can help facilitate it, but that there is so much to learn and 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 everyone can participate. It doesn't have to be frontal. it doesn't have to be just the cantor or just the rabbi or the two of us together. It can be everyone. everyone can have the opportunity to to lead in some way and
0: what What's your advice for someone who's like mm-hmm. a little worried about that? They hear that, and they're like. Yeah, that would be great. Except I, I, don't, can't have, sing. I don't have I don't have a good sing. voice for that, or yeah, I'm I mean, tone deaf, or whatever. Like, <laughs> I mean, you one, don't hear one, me one of the things that
2: one thing that I love to say to people in the congregation, I, I should probably, I wish I should, I wish I could do it every week and say, okay, now look to the person, look to the person that's sitting next to you on your right, look to the person that's sitting next to you on the left. Okay, everybody, now nod your head at each other. Okay, now you've given permission to each other to sing. Okay mm-hmm. whether you think you can sing or you can't or you think you cannot sing mm-hmm. everyone can sing and it actually goes all the way back to tradition the main reasons why we have trope in the first place was to accent the correct syllable and punctuate the s- the sentence the musical notation was actually just lanyap it was just extra it was just the top of the iceberg just the you know the icing on the cake and so we we can all um, we can all help to make a liturgical experience or whatever it is m- more beautiful and in in so many different ways. And I think everyone's voice is needed in that. It can't just be me. It can't just be the rabbi.
0: Yeah,
1: I think it's really interesting too because one other major change in the cantorial arts is, has been. From in in just a short, maybe even seventy five, maybe a hundred years, congregations went from observing cantors whose people would talk about. I mean, even people in this congregation who are elders will talk about the cantors of their childhood, who were like mm-hmm. these larger than life, mm-hmm. usually men, and and usually these elders describe cantors in exactly the same way. It was like the voice of God, they'll say. And, and everybody was silent while the cantor sang and the choir, there was not, there was not participation. Mm -hmm. And I once, I, I once had an interview when I was a much younger rabbi at a congregation that wasn't a fit. And I'll never forget the congregational, the cantor, you know, having a conversation with this cantor and, um. She was older, and she was like, I'm so sick of hearing about all this participation people want. Hmm. I mean, you can participate with your ears. That's what she said. <laughs> Those were her words, and I remember thinking...
2: That is a thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, I mean, I think there are some people who now we've, cr- we've decided that, like many other things, the prayer experience should be much more democratic, like mm. the cantor, for, in every sense of the word. So... Feedback, uh, you know, participation, engagement at a leadership level, but engagement also just as as a congregation of song, mm-hmm. because all of our voices matter. We don't perform prayer for people. I mean, there are some moments where it feels contemplative to just listen and people should feel invited to do that. That canter is not wrong. You can participate with your ears. Some contemplative moments really just you don't want to sing. You just want to listen. And and be invited. Like I call it sometimes the Shabbos lullaby. Like you just get invited to just relax while we sing to you. We, not we. Um, <laughs> this, sometimes we. This sometimes. reminds me
0: of this episode. I had a change in my perception of Cantors because of the, an episode of The West Wing. Oh. There's an episode of The West Wing where Toby is in in at a synagogue but he's singing he's sitting in the pews and he's talking to his rabbi and they're having this discussion and behind him is a woman on the bima could be the cantor or not singing throughout their conversation and at the end of the conversation toby says i think you planted this woman here to influence me for our conversation and the rabbi said that's our communications director <laughs> and like that's how i thought about cantors after that i was like oh th- this is this is another version of a <laughs> communications director kind of job of like it's just a different Mm. expression of the holy and the divine and all uh and all these traditions and it's just doing it through through music and and voice
1: but i would also say that cantor type is an unusually um generous spirit around i mean i think that's very sincere like a lot of cantors are like we want everybody to participate but they don't get out of the way for that to happen, and I feel like anybody who's ever experienced an invitation from him to play music together, or sing together, or be part of a band, a choir, a kids—you know—at b'nai mitzvah, he's constantly trying to invite people to try it. And I think because of his totally non-judgmental and and really generous way, that that sincerity does really invite. And I think Temple Solel has a much higher level of participation. Than the typical synagogue community having a lot to do with the cantor. Certainly also to do with Craig and his attitude about, you know, Mm -hmm. who should try it, who should, you know, whether it's at Camp Simcha or Kavanah or other things where the music culture here is really strong. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't you don't already have to be an expert. We're all not. I mean, it's not expertise is not the necessary prerequisite to engage. And I think that's a totally different invitation than the performative mentality. Mm -hmm. If none of us are perfect, if you're, I frequently say to B'nai Mitzvah too, as they start to maybe get some butterflies or jitters around the day approaching, what, what fun thing they can do to really decrease their, their mindset of performance is watch us lead a prayer service, which they'll be leading and just count how many moments Mm -hmm. just aren't, are not even intended to be perfection. We don't even call them mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's just that the. Prayer is a communal experience of aspirational articulation of the heart and mind about what we're wanting to be and do. It's not a performance. And that's a big change from, I think, the mentality of cantors of the past generations. And so I think there's a lot of, again, evolution, not because it's not tradition, but because it's all the traditions, blending and building this really strong rope of tradition that's gone back thousands and thousands of years
0: thank you jenny for the great questions and thank you to cantor type for joining us as our first special very special cantorial guest host <laughs> <laughs> it's great thank you guys for having me special thanks everyone see you soon bye